Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. 46% of Americans expect to leave behind financial obligations when they pass away. So it's crucial to make sure your family is financially protected. Policy Genius helps you find the right life insurance coverage by comparing options from America's top insurers with help from licensed, award-winning agents. Secure your financial future with Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com to get free life insurance quotes in just a few clicks. That's policygenius.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Lacrosse Boots. So here's what Lacrosse has recently done. They've taken their 100 plus years of experience to create a new line of lace-up hunting boots called the Navigator Series. Now the Navigator Series comes in two options, the Atlas for men and the Windrose for both men and women. Now if you want to find out more about their high-quality awesome boots you need to go to lacrossefootwear.com my name is clay newcomb and i'm the host of the bear hunting magazine podcast i'll also be your host into the world of hunting the icon of north american wilderness the bear we'll talk about tactics gear conservation but we'll also bring you into some of the wildest country on the planet chasing bear I was in Bozeman, Montana last week, and Kevin Harlander and I sat down, and we had a great conversation. Kevin is the First Light Community Manager. We get into the nitty-gritty of layering systems, merino wool, and how to effectively use First Light gear. So this is kind of a technical podcast with, with, with gear stuff, clothing stuff, but Kevin and I also have a great time. You'll get to learn about Kevin some of his hunting he's a he's a super elk hunter grew up in minnesota you're going to enjoy it i want to bring your attention to a code a code that we're going to give out where you can get five dollars off a subscription to bear hunting magazine right now we're working on the september october issue if you go to our new subscription section at bear-hunting.com bear-hunting.com you can type in the code bhm20 so that's like Bear Honey Magazine, acronym BHM20. Get $5 off a new subscription. Lastly, I want to talk about our buddies at the Western Bear Foundation. Western Bear Foundation is a nonprofit 
hunting conservation organization that's situated right out there in uh, in Cody, Wyoming, right amongst, right in amongst all the the some of the difficulty that they're having with uh, with with the grizzly bears, the black bears, a lot of things going on out there that. Uh, that we need a voice and the western bear foundation is creating a new narrative for hunters out there about a lot of the stuff they're doing their membership based organization so they're 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 fueled by the the funds brought in by members so i want to encourage you join the western bear foundation check them out great organization fighting for the rights of hunters and for the for the good of black bears hey on to the podcast from Bozeman, Montana, Kevin Harlander. All right. Welcome to the Bear Hunting Magazine podcast. I am in Bozeman, Montana, also known as the Bozone. I've learned <laughs> That's in Bozeman, right. Montana today. And I've got, uh, I've got with me Kevin Harlander of First Light. Kevin is the community manager. That's correct. That's community correct. manager of First Light. Yeah, yeah um, that's right. Yeah. We are, man, this is really cool for me. We're at the Meat Eater Global Headquarters. Now, Kevin, HQ, you, yeah. you, may not, you may not know this about Bear Hunting Magazine, but we have, we call the Bear Hunting Magazine where we where we're yeah. at the global headquarters. I like that. Right. That's what it says on the sign global at global uh, headquarters. At First Light too over in Ketchum. Yeah. First Light Global HQ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so man, awesome. we're at we're actually in the podcasting studio of of Meat Eater, which is a yeah. cool thing. And to give a little context of why that mm-hmm. we're here yeah, yeah. is that uh, First Light as everybody would know has recently been acquired by Meat Eater. Right. That's and uh, and so Kevin it was in First Light's based out of Ketchum, Idaho. Correct. About five hours from here. Yeah. And you guys came down and are uh, are showing some of the new products, talking yeah. about some of the stuff with uh, yeah with with the people here at Meat Eater. Yeah, that's correct. So we've been working with Meat Eater and Steve specifically for a long time. He's one of our our longest uh, partners, and so yeah, we've been recently acquired, and and nothing's changing on our end, and uh, it's been really positive just to be able to collaborate with these guys on a closer level. So we're up here with Bridget and Ford and a bunch of our marketing team and yeah. um, just kind of showcasing some of our uh, product that we're putting into gear testing for 2020. These guys help out a lot with that um, since they're in the field so often. Right. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of kind of seeing the, the, the home home turf for these guys. And yeah. it's always fun to come to Bozeman. It's kind of the, the heart and soul of, of the outdoor industry. So it's good to catch you know, up with folks. I don't and, know that people people outside the industry would necessarily know that right. but in bozeman mm-hmm. right here is you you tell me the companies yeah, so that you know that are right here in bozeman sick gear onyx mystery ranch um i'm gonna forget a bunch more but obviously meat eater stone glacier um yeah. schnee's boots are here in bozeman That's is crazy. a town of about forty five thousand. yeah i've heard it, it so is. it's not like this it's not like a massive city yeah and i'm not the best expert obviously on, on bozeman montana i used to roll through here on the way to yeah. the fire season when i was in college a lot but um it's a great place great yeah. place and a lot of good people too we, it's fun to we were out at dinner last night and you run into folks from like the wild sheep foundation and then there's guys <laughs> rolling in from two percent for conservation it's kind yeah. of just this revolving door of folks yeah and, it's fun. It's really fun. Shanae's is here. They are. Yeah. Yeah. We're actually going to go over there this afternoon and try on some of their boots. So. Oh, really? I've actually never worn Shanae's boots. Um, yeah. 
yeah, so we'll check them out. Nice. Well, Bozeman is a neat town. I, I've never spent much time here. Yeah. On our way to where we hunted in western Montana for yep. spring bear this year, we pulled in with our mules in our trailer <laughs> nice. and parked like directly in the alley behind Shanae's. That's awesome. We were we were like making blocks around trying Shanae's. To find trying to, to park, we just yeah. wanted to pull in there just to say we went to Shanae's yeah, and yeah, Bozeman. Yeah. And right behind the store, it's like this downtown area, like yeah. a really nice downtown area, yeah. like old downtown with these small shops along yeah. the main street, you know, just buzzing like an with old people. Western strip. Yeah. Yeah, 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 just buzzing with people. And so we pull up like right behind their back door and I was like, they're not going to tow us if we're in there for like <laughs> yeah. 15 minutes yeah. with mules. Yeah. So man, we just put the flashers on that's awesome. and went in there. But uh, that was my first time. It was a neat, that's a neat store. Yeah, I bet. Um, I'm excited. I'm excited yeah. to go in there. But sure. Bozeman is, uh, I mean, I guess for a Western town, it, maybe this is like standard, but I mean, basically in any direction that you look, you're seeing these big snow-capped mountains. Yeah. I mean, here it is, July. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's pretty spectacular. You guys it out is. west are, are used to this kind of stuff. Yeah, but we're pretty lucky that way. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a beautiful place, and especially as you get into sort of the Intermountain West and, and uh, in the Rocky Mountains, it's just uh, it's rugged country and beautiful. And we yeah. hold on to our snow, although this year's been pretty hot yeah. um, midsummer. So we'll see. It's uh, Hopefully we don't get too many fires. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's, I mean, it looked like a lot of snow to me, but any snow yeah. is a lot of snow yeah. for a guy from Arkansas. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But, that's now, awesome. hey, before we jump into, so yeah. what I want to do on the podcast, let's, I want to talk about some of the first light stuff. Yeah, you but got it. but I but before we do that, I I want to I want to learn some stuff about you. Sure. I, I just you met, met Kevin like this uh, morning in the lobby, basically <laughs> this morning. And the only reason I recognized him was because I watched uh, I watched on Facebook first lights. Uh, uh, you guys recorded a deal where you were cooking elk burgers. Yeah, we're doing this you series called Fuel the Fundamentals, and it's uh, it's awesome. It's just guys from the office, and uh, we're cooking up just just really simple, basic recipes, but easy easy recipes to kind of mess up. So, yeah, yeah, we've been doing. I that. learned something though. I mean, like really, when I went yeah. into a burger cooking video, yeah. I mean, I really wasn't thinking oh, yeah. I'm going to learn something. Yeah, exactly. that's like, but the butter, yeah. That that was that came out of left yeah. field for me, but I get it, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, butter like on anything, crispy, you know, crispy yeah. bun, and then also right on the burger itself, right? You kind of crisp yeah. up the exterior of that burger, and it just helps with. We had um, my girlfriend and I last summer raised some hogs, yeah. So we we mixed in the bacon ends into that into that elk grind, and it just turned out really delicious. But the butter on top, right? When, especially when you put it on like a hot fire. It like instantly crisps, and it's just like a little, not crunchy, but just a little bit of crispiness on the outside. It's I get delicious. it, man. Delicious. Yeah, I'm definitely gonna. Everything's better. With definitely butter. gonna do that. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. I want to hear about your hogs too. We yeah. we raised some pigs. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, but it's awesome. Well, uh, but I wanted to introduce you. Yeah, sure. And I want to hear it. about your history. Yeah, and, you got it. And uh, so and. It's cool that you work for First Light. Right. I mean, that's I, my question. What I just personally wanted to ask yeah. you is, how the heck did you start working for First Light? That's a lot. But it's kind of a long road, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but give me kind of a. I know you're a hunter. Yeah, I know yeah. you're a good elk hunter. Yeah. I know Thank that you. if you were a firefighter, you're you're tough and mountain worn. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's right. good. But no, right. just give me a little history of just your personal history yeah. where you grew up. But then, sure. Yeah, that sounds great. I'm I'm from uh, St. Paul, Minnesota, so I'm born and raised there, and lived there till I went to school and in, in to college in in northeastern Iowa, a school called Loris College, kind of in the heart of whitetail country. So I grew up whitetail hunting. We had a, mm. a, a family place up in northern Minnesota, right on the headwaters of the Mississippi or near it. Mm-hmm. Um, spent a lot of time up there as a kid, and it was always interesting growing up in the city and and 
and then being outside all the time in our neighborhood and kind of in our in our area and then going up north we call it going up north every every time every chance we could get it seemed like every weekend my mom would uh kind of get everything rolling and my dad would roll home from work and we just head for the hills is there a culture i know in michigan there's this culture of everybody wanting to go to the up yeah for vacation certainly like, is it kind of like that in minnesota yeah, it seems like it's everybody not a up but yeah everybody or their neighbor has a place on a lake right and they call them cabins they're just cabins on a lake and that's really the the heart and soul i would say of minnesota summer culture and winter mm. culture so it's everybody in the in the midwest specifically in st paul minneapolis and and the surrounding area seems to have a place up north. Right, right. somebody right. with a place up north. So That's there's like cool. a migration to the north country every every. And summer, so, so most of the population would be further south. Yeah, certainly. And now Minnesota's a long state, right? Tip yeah. to tail. But uh, the heart of the, the population all resides sort of in that central to south central part of the state. So. Right. Um, yeah, we spent a lot of time going up north and learned to fish and hunt from my dad and, and my mom as well and, and my grandfather and my brothers. And so we, we, that was always a part of who we were growing up. And we, we always ate a lot of fish, ate a lot mm-hmm. of venison um, and grouse and ducks and geese. So it was so you grew up deer hunting? We did, yeah. And it's totally different than any of the deer hunting I've ever done in the West and in Iowa too. Mm-hmm. So we were hunting in northern Minnesota with, you know, basically I think my first, yeah, the first gun I ever shot a deer with. Uh, was that 30-30 lever action. So everything's yeah. brushy, thick country. Yeah. Um, all the deer are really big-bodied whitetails, but you wouldn't, like if you shot a, what would they would call in northern Minnesota, eight-pointer, right? Yeah, yeah. Four-by-four four in, in the West. It's an eight-pointer, man. Eight-pointer, don't, yeah. don't get okay. influenced by this Western <laughs> stuff, man. That's right. Tell so, the truth, it's an eight-pointer. It's not a four-by-four. If you shoot an eight-pointer in in Minnesota, that in northern Minnesota, that is like a dandy, like okay, a, and a small basket rack. Okay, so small small rack deer, but right. tough northern deer. Yeah, because um, it's cold. You tree stand hunting yeah. up there, but do not they like, do a lot of drives, or you just hunt like driving, terrain features and stuff. Mostly just corridors during the rut. So okay, you're, you're just hunting travel corridors for the most part. Okay, but thick country. We drive once in a while, usually like on a Sunday afternoon when you're heading out when you're leaving, going yeah. home. Yeah, we do a quick last drive. Ditch, yeah, last ditch <laughs> effort. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and then, so we spent a lot of time up there when I was a kid, and we were always enjoying sort of the. The way to up north too. There's a lot of great state parks and rack areas in Minnesota, and they do a good job of keeping those places uh, wild. Which is, I'm really fortunate to have grown up yeah. there. Um, so then I went to college in in Iowa. I played baseball down there, and okay. and uh, and whitetail hunted quite a bit. Um, really, in Iowa public land, or well, actually the 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 doozy about Iowa a little bit. There's a lot of public land, not right. compared to the West or or even parts of uh, of the Midwest, but. What's interesting about Iowa is there's a, a real culture around like agriculture mixed with wildland or why should say wildlife habitat. Okay. So there's a lot of people, especially when I was coming up through some biology programs, they're trying to change the way they, they thought about land use rather than just a sort of a, um, reap the land situation with pure agriculture. They're trying to work in sort of this regener- regenerative, um, healthy ecosystem management with um, some hunting and I think what was really cool is I got to be a part of a couple of different farms that were transitioning from strictly just agriculture to wildlife management as well. Mm. And did ecosystem you ever kill a big deer up there? I did kill some decent deer, yeah. What's a decent deer? Uh, like, I think like a decent deer in Iowa is probably like 145, 150, right? And yeah. then they talk about these 170-inch deer as you get farther into, into southern, southern Iowa. But yeah. um, we were just a little bit farther north from where the real like 
boomer boomer bucks go down so yeah. that was yeah. a great experience and it was cool because everybody like my baseball coach in college was an avid deer hunter so he uh took me out a few times and i sort of yeah. relearned how to how to whitetail hunt there. right it would be totally but, different than yeah. northern minnesota certainly heavily it's, forested yeah exactly so you're hunting a lot of field edges a lot of like um, travel corridors um managing different chunks of ground you know I, ne- I never really knew what a food plot was yeah um until i until i went to iowa so yeah. then in the summertime when i was in college i was heading out to oregon to uh to fight wildland fire so i did that just that was just like a summer job it was yeah it's the greatest summer job ever because really? you're you're on the road a lot you're working a lot of hours can't spend any money and then at mm. the end of the summer you just hand a check over to school <laughs> it's just nice. like back to it um but met a lot of my greatest friends doing that um, and then what's really interesting is that's how I introduced to elk hunting. So I, I stayed a couple seasons later into September and just started going with these guys and, and hunting yeah. with these guys. And the greatest part about that was I just had this real opportunity to learn from people that lived in this country all the time. And so we were elk hunting and, and that was a, a great gift and something I'm really grateful for. So just a phenomenal state. Oregon's wonderful. I lived in Eastern Oregon for the better part of 10 years on and okay. off. Um, and just really fell in love with that place. And, um, yeah, now I'm, now I'm over in Idaho. So the short of it is, I guess, I I suppose we're going to get to this, but, um, I was working after I was done fighting fire, I was managing the marketing and sales for a brewery in Eastern Oregon. Um, and while I was doing that, I was guiding elk hunts with my good friend, James Nash. Um, he runs an outfit called Six Ranch Outfitters. So we, uh, worked together for a couple of years. Mm. And then I was also doing some film work um, for Ben Potter at Con Outdoor. So we did a, okay. some waterfowl projects together. And I was kind of, I was like dipping my toe into the outdoor industry because I was mm-hmm. really scared about like, okay, I love this so much. If I go in full on, um, you know, is am it going to ruin it yeah, for me? Am I going to get burned out on this or is it not going to be yeah. fun? And um, so I've always been kind of caution or cautious, I should say, about mixing my passions and my work. So, yeah. Um, but it's been the best decision I've ever made, man. This yeah. has been the greatest. I started like in beginning of May, and it's just been a whirlwind. It's just been awesome. So, so. you you're jumping to full time outdoor industry. Yeah. It's just been yeah. just this year. Yeah, just this year, yeah. and it's been just phenomenal. So my role, I get to work with so many different cool people, and I manage a team of the best pro team in the in the country. I think they're just awesome guys. We got great guides and outfitters, and just a really solid solid team put together at first slide so it's so you were doing marketing and media and photography and some video yeah. and learn from some really good guys yeah, like some, these can outdoors yeah. guys and so yeah. how the heck did that translate into i mean you just applied for a job at first slide or did you know yeah. some of the first slide folks so um through james nash my friend i just mentioned right. he uh he him and cody rich became pretty good friends and cody runs a podcast yeah. and, and a bunch of other businesses that guy's a, a genius marketer and a, and a really good dude um, so Cody and I have become pretty close and, and Cody and I have worked together a little bit and the job popped on first slide. And I've been trying to think about my girlfriend and I were like, we should, we're going to move. We're going to do something new. Um, and we we're actually in Norway visiting her family. Her family's from, from the mm-hmm. country in Norway. And, um, I just saw this job pop and I was kind of, I was just laying in bed and I was like, I'm going to apply for this thing. And so I called Cody and he's like, yeah, man, I'll, I'll talk to those guys. And we just, set up a meeting and was able to kind of secure the deal. And it's been uh, just phenomenal. So, yeah. Yeah. So you've been at First Light since May. Yeah. Awesome, man. Pretty quick. Well. <laughs> it's been quick. Well, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I know. So are you, you're hunting public land elk in Idaho. Yeah. Well, no, no. Oregon no, is Oregon. where you mainly, yeah, that's where Oregon. you mainly yeah. learned yeah. your elk hunting. Yep. And yeah. I will say, like, you know, I've, 
I've killed a few elk with my bow, um, and the majority of it's been on public land, but there, a lot of it's been on private too, just because okay. um, I think one of the things that's interesting growing up in the Midwest, you know, we had a, uh, a skill set that I developed from learning from other folks of how to ask for permission, you know, and not just coming and taking, right. right? It's like, hey, I see, mister, you've got some fence down. Can I rebuild that for you? Mm. Can I... Can I get you a quarter of wood? Can I do real something? Rebuild fence trick. Yeah. And it, you know, the thing is, it's like those guys work their butts off on their ground. You know, they take a lot of pride in their in their property and, and things like that. So I wanted to try to figure out a way to uh utilize that skill set of talking with people and, and doing that to to gain some access. So I've learned and, and sort of um facilitated some relationships through yeah. through that. So that's good. Yeah, for sure. That's great. Yeah. Well, maybe this is a good place to get into uh, some of the first light. Well, I, I think we can we can say this is that the the meat eater acquisition of first light mm-hmm. for those in the industry was pretty. I mean, yeah, it's kind of a cool thing. Morning, right? I mean, yeah. it was kind of like wow, that that's surprising. Right. Um, but then once it happened, maybe it wasn't surprising. But uh, Steve Rinella obviously has been the kind of the the main. First Light mm-hmm. media guy, For even sure. though he's not, he's not had any, he's not owned First Light. I mean, no, did, no. he's just been no. somebody that has worn First Light to help them build their brand. And I mean, somebody that yeah. the outdoor industry, I mean, in my mind, he's at the top of the heap. Yeah, uh, certainly. Just his ability to just to bring people into the fold is just incredible. You know, we're, we're talking about guys that maybe have, and women and men that have never picked up a rifle, never spent any time in the woods, and they're being, a, they're attracted to this model that that Steve's built. Um, one of the things I talked about with Ben O'Brien a little bit too, is just like how many, how much opportunity Steve's brought for so many people in the industry to have a voice, to talk about what they want to talk about. Yeah. Um, so it's been awesome to get to know him a little bit as well. So did you uh, start working for First Light? It was before the acquisition. Yeah. Just pretty quick before. Yeah. yeah about a month yeah. in actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I want to do is, I kind of want to act like nobody knows anything Great. about about. I, could we categorize first light gear as like technical hunting gear? I yeah, mean, is that, would that be the most simple description of what it would yeah, be? Certainly. Because I think I mean a lot of my listeners would be probably from the South okay. and Midwest Got mainly. It. Yep, and I mean historically and still ma- that. Those hunters are massively dominated by cotton. Yeah, honestly, cotton I mean, kills, man. <laughs> I mean, but it, but it's. I mean, it, it's. Uh, and when I say that, I mean just you know, kind of standard hunting gear that we've all right? used and, yeah. and survived on, and it mm-hmm. still works for people. That's what I grew up using. You yeah, know? Yep. I did too. We yeah. didn't know any different. Yeah, I mean, if we, right. In my mind, when I was growing up, wool was like this itchy stuff mm-hmm. that. Your dad would make you wear sometime, yeah, but you yeah. didn't really want to. Right, but ice fishing gear. <laughs> that's so. Yeah. It's so different. But so let's pretend like sure. people don't understand what technical hunting gear is yeah. and how it can help them and 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 what it's like. Right. Um, but I also kind of want to talk about some of the new first light stuff. Yeah, some of course. people would be, but talk to me about like a basic layering system. Yeah, and we call them our kits. So kit it, the, the way that. Um, people should think about First Light is it's a full service apparel company, right? And what the goal of everything we make and everything that we've tried to develop from my understanding in the last 10, 12 years has been uh, to try to to allow the hunter to stay out in the field longer, 
uh, to sit in that tree just a couple more hours um, to be dry, cool, um, warm when you need to be. Go so, further, stay longer. That's right. That's right. And and so those sort of the ethos of this whole company has been started in the idea that we can make a piece of gear for every situation, for any climate, for any part of the world. Um, and it started with Merino wool. So they're the first company ever. We were the first company ever, I should say, to print a pattern on Merino wool. A camo pattern. Camo pattern. So right. historically, Merino wool had been used in the sure. ski industry ski. and outdoor yeah, industry, but it had right. been solid color. Exactly. They couldn't figure out how to Yeah, for some reason. A, yeah. Um, so that that's kind of where it started, right, was we understood that there was the this high-quality material um, that could be close to skin, next to skin, that could serve as sort of your base layer for all activity, whether it was right. 90 degrees in South Texas yes, or... 12 degrees in northern Minnesota in a deer stand. Yeah. Um, so when you talk about a kit from First in, Light... Let me stop yeah, you right there. Yeah. In both of those situations, yeah. that's what you want is yeah. a merino wool against your skin. Yeah, it keeps you cold when you're when you're in hot temperatures and keeps you toasty it's, when it's, it's cold. wicking. And, and maybe we could even just stop right there and talk yeah. about merino wool, which this is, sure. this is something that people typically in the southern hunting culture don't understand. But mm-hmm. actually what you want to be wearing... When it's 85 degrees and you're on an active hunt, Mm -hmm. is merino wool. Yep, that's exactly right. Because you guys make all sorts of super light stuff Mm -hmm. that's going to wick moisture away, number one. It it pulls moisture away from the skin, but it dries quickly, number two. So it dries way quicker than cotton. I don't know. It'd be interesting to actually hear the science of why or how, but it, it does... It dries much quicker, so mm-hmm. all of us have been wearing co- a cotton shirt and just right. drenched it, and yep. then it stays wet and damp the whole day. Certainly, and I'm familiar with that humidity. Now, growing yeah. up in Minnesota, it was brutally hot. And yeah. I actually just got back from a hunt in Texas. Um, we were down there twice this spring, and uh, we were in deep, like, south Texas, right on the border. And it was hot, like 100 degrees, 90% yeah. humidity, brutal. And I'm wearing the—we make a, a piece called a wick hoodie, and it's— it's a hooded shirt, and you wouldn't really think, man, a hood in that hot a temperature would be brutal. But it's the 150 weight. It's called our wick. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was reasonably comfortable. And, and I think the biggest part is, yeah, you're going to sweat. Even if you're you know, wearing nothing, you're going to sweat, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But the ability for that garment to take your sweat and pull it off your skin, hold on to it, and then get rid of it is pretty incredible. Yeah. And you know, you're drying pretty quickly. Right. Sweating buckets. Quicker but, than cotton. Yeah, certainly quicker and the, than cotton. And then the third thing is that it holds much less odor yep. than cotton. Yeah, I mean, certainly. And, you, and it, you don't even realize it until you begin to compare the two fabrics after right. you've wore them. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, you take a cotton shirt yep. and you sweat in it all day. Mm-hmm. That night, whether you're back at your tent or back at your house or right. wherever, you pick up that shirt the next day, it smells terrible. Yeah, I mean, you're getting uh, a friend of mine we were just talking about, James Nash. He rode his motorcycle in a Wick t shirt for a thousand, like 1,100 miles, I think, in the same mm. t shirt, 10 days. And that dude stinks usually, <laughs> yeah. and he didn't smell at all. Yeah, he's yeah, been really yeah. impressed. So there's examples like that, right? Where if you did that in a cotton shirt, it'd be it'd be pretty brutal. So those two, those three things mm-hmm. are the are are the fundamental right. things that you got to understand if you're going to wear merino. Yeah, that's I mean, right. That, that's why you do it versus mm-hmm. cotton. Now cotton is comfortable. I mean, that's the, probably the primary. Yep. Cotton's comfortable and cheap. Yep. And uh, comfortable when it's dry anyway. Yeah, that's right. But the thing about this merino that t- to fill in the gaps from somebody like me who grew up in the in the wool that my dad used to make me mm-hmm. wear sometimes was like prickly. Yeah, right. This merino wool is um, it's basically 
comparable to cotton and its softness and the way Certainly, it feels yeah. against the skin. It's softer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And, and the reason there is, so the, the merino wool comes from obviously a different sheep, the merino sheep. Right. Um, it's just a softer wool and it feels good on your skin. You know, it's not agitating at all. Um, the nice part about merino as well is that in our garments, we mix that with just a little bit of stretch material. Yeah. So, um, you know, classic merino or any sort of wool over time sort of wears down. Yeah. But if you implement um, these... these A little bit of synthetic Yeah, in just it. a little bit of stretch. I mean, that thing holds up um, for, yeah. for a good lifetime. So. You know, I heard... This is interesting to me thinking about the the biology of it, but mm-hmm. I heard... I think I heard Scott Robinson say Likely, this, yeah. but the, the merino sheep, the reason that merino wool on a human is good to wear when it's hot and also good to wear when it's cold is because the the temperature where these sheep are can get ultra hot but also ultra cold right and so this animal can't molt and shed mm-hmm. to this degree of actually what it needs so it had to it formed this right this covering that would thermoregulate mm-hmm. when it was hot they, it would draw heat away and draw moisture away, right. but when it was cold, it would insulate. So it's kind of cool to think you're taking this natural resource that was designed to do this very thing yep. and spinning it into yarn and mm-hmm. making garments. And yeah. What I, I think probably the, the biggest complaint, if, if we're just being honest about it, is that the durability of just 100% merino wool, mm-hmm. which I've had – and I want to go back to – just educating people because yeah. I think if, if people are educated, they're they're more they understand. And yeah. I heard Scott say this yeah. is that um, you know I've had I've had some just hundred percent merino wool stuff that started to get some holes in it after mm-hmm. time and stuff. Um, but when you spin in the 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 synthetics, it does make it stronger. Right. But Scott was saying about how you're really dealing with a natural commodity that has differences. Right. I mean, like it's like. It's like being a logger and, right. and you're cutting down a forest that like had really fast growth and wide tree rings mm-hmm. and the lumber is just a little bit different sure. than like this old slow growth stuff. Maybe old it's the stuff. same kind of tree. And yeah. so he's saying that there's even variations in wool from yeah. different years and different suppliers. And I mean, I think y'all get it all from the same supplier, but... Yeah, certainly. And I mean, those sheep, if you think about it, like the... Um the, the difference in sheep one versus sheep three is uh, probably the bit of a difference because they're different individuals, yeah. but that's a pretty cool process too, to be using natural fiber, um, yeah. you know, to, to create these garments for sure. Yeah. But yeah. well, it, it helps me to think that like, you know, we just, we just buy clothing and put it on and you don't ever think about like, this is actually, it's almost like a, an art as much as it's a science yeah, and totally. making this, making this gear. And Scott was also talking about, how they've gone to I'm pretty sure he said they've gone to New Zealand mm-hmm. and met these farmers mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. and uh and the commodity it's a it's it's a commodity that can become scarce mm-hmm. so they have to have relationships with these guys mm-hmm. so that if if it is scarce that yeah. they'll sell to you guys rather than to sell That's to right. someone else. Yeah. Anyway, and it was news that, to yeah. me. Yeah, and it's an interesting world. You know, I'm just kind of diving in. Where, like we mentioned, we're, we're getting into sort of our testing cycle for our, our years down the roads gear. Yeah. Um, so I've been learning a little bit more about that process. And it is interesting because it comes down to relationships and especially on the gear test side, all yeah. the way down to the raw materials, you know. Yeah. And that's what's cool about a small company. Um, we have the ability to go and meet those people, you know, yeah. on the ground, which is yeah. cool. Well, anything else to well so the foundation of first light is this 
is Merino wool. Yeah, so we've yeah we've expanded past that, way I mean, past that. Yeah, but that yeah. is sort of that is the foundation, and I think that's the the most important component of any kit, right? Um, you start it's what's it, actually touching your skin. Yeah, you start the skin and you you work your way out. Arguably, yeah. I would say that the most the two most important pieces really in your kit are your boots and your base layer. Yeah, um, just because it, it spends the most time on your body. Yeah, 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 for sure. Mm-hmm. So, what about what about talk to me about uh, just some of the, the other outerwear and gear yeah. and I mean like so you were talking about the kit so walk me through a kit then sure yeah so we, for we, sure. I, I stopped I interrupted you Kevin I'm no, just talking fine. nerding out about merino wool no I I hear you so um we'll we'll probably do like a let's let's just go through like my everyday okay. ultimate kit right there we go so I I think the biggest thing to start with in any kit is like we mentioned that sort of that base layer. Um, and the, the main component of my base layer, it starts with those wick long boxer briefs. Um, mm-hmm. just cause that is something that's next to my skin all the time. It's wicking that moisture away from arguably probably one of the hottest regions of your body, yep. your, your upper legs and your crotch. Yep. Um, so I usually mix that in with a men's wick hoodie, which is our, our base layer. I was talking about that a little bit. I've been wearing that down in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a great piece. Mm-hmm. I like the hood feature too, because that hood feature allows you to conceal and also, uh, keep some sun off your neck as well. Yeah. Um, and I can so wear that, that all the way through with in the that winter. base layer. It's not, it's not even, uh, temperature control as much as it is shade. Sure. Yeah. In, in some places, which yeah. I guess would end up being temperature control, but in the wrong way. Usually yeah, right. you think of a hood as trying to keep yes, you warm. exactly. But man, sometimes glassing when it's yeah. 70 degrees, you just want mm-hmm. to get away from the mm-hmm. sun. And I'm, I'm sure we're talking, you know, this this base layer stuff is some is a piece that I would wear, whether it's, you know, 90 degrees in Texas for my start, all the way to five degrees in Minnesota or whatever. Yeah. Um, and I would exchange certain pieces, obviously, with different temperature ranges. We make some um, heavier duty, heavier weight um, long sleeve pieces too, mm-hmm. specifically the fuse and things like that. The men's fuse crew. So I, I start, you know, with the with the basic long johns, the, the men's wick long boxer brief, and then the men's wick hoodie. Um, on the pants side, uh, we make this these pants called the Corget Guide pants, which I think are just bomber. They're they're tough pants. They're they're four-way stretch dwr which means they're a little bit water resistant okay it's kind of my go-to mm-hmm. um however we just released a pair of pants called the guide light pants which um, i wore down in texas last two weeks ago um it's a really light but durable material and it almost feels like you're not wearing pants at all um <laughs> but they're tough so they, they held up in that kind of mesquite country um that's a great pair of pants as well mm-hmm. so those are the two that i'll probably cycle through mm-hmm. um and then um you know as we as we build our way through that stuff, hey, let me let me say yeah. something about the Corga guy yeah, pants. Yeah, yeah. The uh, I don't want to. Well, okay, I'm, I'm going to take this into the third person here. Sure. Let's say that there was a man and his wife had a pair of yoga pants. Yeah. Okay, you with me? Yeah. Like the you. stretchy yoga pants yeah, yeah. that that are that yeah. women like and yeah. are so comfortable. Yeah. I'm not going to say that anybody has ever any man. Has ever put those on, <laughs> but if they had, they would recognize why women like to wear those so yeah. much because they're very comfortable. Yeah, it's just I, basically a pair of long underwear, right? Long johns, kind of. Right, right. Yeah, right. Yeah. But the, but the stretchy material, yeah, the I know light. What you mean. Mainly, what I'm talking about is the stretchy, lightweight material mm-hmm. that fits fairly close to skin. Yep. Okay. Yep. To me, the core guide pants are like hunting, and I. I 
<laughs> I don't want to brand it. these the wrong no, way. I know. I'll take They're it. They're comfortable. Though. I don't want to say yeah. hunting yoga pant because we're going to all of a sudden. Oh, my, man. The internet will explode. My man card's strong enough that I'm, I'm, I'm okay with saying that. But, uh, yep. No, they they're just comfortable. Yeah, I agree. That's what I'm saying. They're just totally. very comfortable. You don't you feel like you're not wearing a pant. Yeah, and that's why I think those Corey guide pants they they satisfy so many different um, terrains, elements, parts of the country as well. Yeah, um, it's a great pair of pants for sure. Yeah, a lot of guys yeah. like the Obsidian Merino pants for yep. for all purposes. Um, and I think those are a great pair of pants too. So really, the the core lineup that we've introduced is the Corey guide pant and the Merino wool pants. Um, we got our guide lights, and then the ones that I'm really excited about are called the saw bucks. Yes. So that's basically a corrugate guide pant, but it's got reinforced, almost looks just like an upland pant would. Like a bri- uh, we call those briar britches. Briar britches. That would be. That's a great name. Should have yeah. called you. Should have called you. That's a that, great. Name. I mean, that's that's what I. I mean, I would say would be a pretty common name yeah. in the South for a pant like that. I got mean, it. they've got a briar, right. quote unquote, briar mm-hmm. resistant front. Certainly, that's yeah. different than the back. I was yeah, crawling yeah. around in those things in South Texas in this like mesquite and this cat claw, just nasty stuff, and they held up really well. So yeah. I'm I'm stoked about those things. And they what actually, were you doing in Texas, man? I well, got... we were doing a lot of things, but I was with Cable Smith and we were hunting Nilgai, which is no a way crazy animal. Just a, are you familiar with those things? Yeah. Yeah. I never heard little horns, big African animal yeah. introduced into South Texas. Yeah. Crazy they, looking animals. Um, they're huge. Like a when big, were you there? I was there in, with Cable in May, I believe. And then I was just back in the hill country uh, hunting axis deer with a couple dudes. So Okay. Did y'all kill a Nauga? Oh, we did. Yeah. Cable did. I hear there. It's really good meat. Delicious. I had I, a buddy, the, actually Colby. Colby Moorhead, the bear tech, as he's known, yeah. works works for with me yeah. at the global headquarters. Global HQ. He <laughs> he he's from Texas originally, okay. and he wants to go on a now guy hunt because nice. he he thinks it's a financial decision. Oh, he's, I he see. thinks for the amount shopping. for the amount that you pay to go on one of these hunts, yep. that you get that much I quality see. meat in return. Yeah, I would agree. It was delicious. I've been really fortunate. The last two animals we, we got to kill in Texas are both delicious. Axis deer and Nilgai. I mean, give yeah. me a break. How big was the Nilgai you killed? It was big. You know, on the hoof, I don't know. They must be between like five and 600 pounds. They're okay. giant. Yeah. It's like an elk, basically. A little bit bigger than an elk at times. And this is a yeah. good bull. So they must be upwards of, you know, between five and 700 pounds, I'd imagine. Yeah. Okay. Big beasts. Yeah. I've never seen I've never been around them, but I'm familiar with them. Yeah. They're crazy. But yeah. that was a good trip for sure. So, yeah, I guess on, on the kit side, those those pants, they held up really well. Um, those will all be available now, too. That's new for 2019. The Sawbucks are, they've become my new go-to pant nice. for just, I'm not necessarily incorporated into, well, I... I Let's, let me think about that for a minute. I, I wasn't able to use them for some reason when I was in Montana okay. this spring, but I like the the toughness of them. You feel like you can work. I mean, sometimes a hunting trip yeah. is more than just about slipping through stalking an animal. Uh-huh. The whole backside of it is actual work. Like you're moving stuff. You're mm-hmm. you're getting dirty. You're you know. And so I like that that saw buck mm-hmm. has that rough front that yep. you can just. You feels more kind of like a work pant, even though it's not. That's not a good description of it. Yeah, but I think it it, it trends that way, right? Yeah. Whereas like the guide light is an ultralight pant made for spot and stocking, hot weather, early season. The sawbuck, you know, you could you could stack wood in those things. Right. You could split wood. You could do some work around your ranch. Um, yeah. But you can also go through the briars in your briar bitches. Yep. <laughs> so yep. That's awesome. I love that name. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then I guess the next piece, when we keep going up top, right? Um, I usually, I love the Klamath hoodie. It's a great mm-hmm. piece. It's a great fleece product. Um, just really awesome. It's durable. Keeps me warm. Um, and then we just came out with the men's Brook, Brooks down sweater, which has been phenomenal. I was wearing that this morning. And, yeah. Um, it's a super lightweight, uh, puffy, puffy piece, puffy jacket. Yep. Um, fits in like a water bottle. It's super tiny. Yeah. Uh, but carries some great warmth. I love that. Um, and then, you know, to round it off, I, I really have been enjoying like in the springtime, especially before it gets to summer, that sawtooth hybrid jacket. It's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Kind of a lightweight. I think you've worn that one a little bit oh, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and then when it gets super cold, when we're talking like, and this is one of the things we've sort of delved into, I guess the last few years is, is into our, our down jacket program. And, um, the men's Chamberlain down jacket is just absolutely bomb proof. And I'm sure you probably wore that bear hunting this, this well, spring a little bit. No, I took it up there. Okay. We, this wasn't cold enough? You know, I wore it like while I was traveling. I okay. find those yeah. jackets to be really comfortable. Oh, man. It's, it's, so it's almost like you're wearing a sleeping bag. Mm-hmm. And while we were traveling, it was super cold uh, going through South Dakota. Well, oh, yeah. Yeah, South Dakota and, and uh, eastern Montana. We were driving through like the snow and stuff. And, mm-hmm. Like getting out to get gas and check on the yeah, mules, yeah. I would slip that on because it's oh, yeah. the smooth. I like that down stuff with the with the smooth. I don't know what synthetic yeah. outer shell it is, mm-hmm. but it just you can just put it on easy, yeah. take it off easy. You yeah, know? just like that that Brooks jacket, and I've got one of those too. Yeah, the yeah. Brooks. Yeah, Saw, then, the sawtooth or no, 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 no the, the Brooks down sweater. The got Brooks it. down sweater. Yeah, I, got it. I like those because they're just easy to put on and mm-hmm. off. Yeah, you know? they're yeah. extremely packable too. You know, and they Light. can. Just, throw them in the bottom of your pack and the nice part about that chamberlain it is bigger it's uh, very warm very big. i wore it in canada is where yeah, i put it to the test that's awesome. last year in manitoba yep. on some all day sits when when uh when noise wasn't an issue i was rifle uh, muzzleloader hunting so yeah. it wasn't like i was trying to get within 20 yards yeah of sure because it is it, you know it's not made for to be quiet necessarily right it's but a glassing uh, jacket right or yeah. like it's cold weather oh man that that I, I, I truly piece. love that jacket. Yeah, it's got thirty percent more down too than than the than most of the jackets on the now, market. Is that so. treated down? Yeah. That, so for the way that I understand it, like this one is is truly the the down jacket. It's that eight hundred fill power down. Okay. So it's it's coated for sure. Um, so if it gets wet, it, yeah, doesn't, it doesn't like clump. flatten up. And, yeah, and yeah, we're coming yeah. out with a great video on how that synthetic down works, um, and and that should be out pretty soon but it's it's pretty pretty remarkable how that stuff can take some water and still perform yeah um yeah it's an incredible piece for sure yeah yeah um you know and then on the other thing too is that i was going to mention really quick is we just have and just an outstanding um lineup of uh of gloves this year Mm -hmm. um specifically there's these we've got those um, down mittens that are really cool. That is like sleeping bags for your hands, really. Yeah. And, and uh, those are great for just... What, uh, are they, the, what do the they call those? Let me see. I think I think we're calling them, if I pull these up correctly, um, I think we're calling them the Brooks... Yeah, the Brooks Down Glassing Mitt. Oh. So they're great. And what was it before? The big, uh, like, uh, three-finger yeah. split? So glove? we have... Those are the Grizzly Trigger Mitts. And okay. we re-up... We updated those again this year. Um, and those are sweet, too. Those are like extreme cold. see a picture of it. Yeah, yeah, there you go. So they're right here. Now see, when I was in Idaho uh, in 2017, mm-hmm. it was like we would get on snowmobiles in the morning and yeah. it would be like below freezing, below yeah. zero. Yeah. And uh, man, I wore those riding yeah. a snowmobile. Because you can actually punch a trigger, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah that's right. It was, they were perfect. 
Yeah, that's a good piece. I, I've been pretty impressed with those. I, I haven't actually worn them in super cold weather yet, but I can tell they're going to be bomb-proof. The ones I have worn are those Shale Touch Hybrid gloves, which um, they got a reinforced knuckle patch. Those are great for crawling around, like if you're doing mm. some dipping and dodging. They're, they're just mm. a bomb-proof glove. And then, of course, just some updated uh, merino merino gloves, which incorporate sort of the, the ability to touch your phone and, and sort of navigate with your phone if you're using Onyx yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so those would be really great too. You know what I find? I, I, I Most of the time when I'm I, hunting in Arkansas and with the temperatures we have, even tree stand hunting, I don't like to wear gloves. Mm-hmm. I would rather keep hands in pockets yep. and feel like I'm just nimble yep. with my hands. Agreed. That being said, my go-to glove most of the time is those lightweight like merino wool, mm-hmm. ultra thin. Yeah. What do they call those? They call those the the touch liner glove, probably. Those ones. Yeah. And then I mean, there's also the merino. The they're straight certainly up not something you'd want to. You know, they don't they don't take a lot of wear. I mean, right, you're not, yeah. you don't want to like yeah. load firewood in your truck yeah, with them. Yeah, yeah. But they're just enough, just enough warmth that they take the sting off the cold yeah. if your hands are out or if your hands on a bow. Yeah. Like right. you know, when you're bow hunting, a lot of times you're holding your bow. Yeah, yeah. So one hand cold. has to be out of a pocket, and so you're like rotating mm-hmm. between hands. Right. And it it kind of takes the sting off, but it feels like you're not wearing a glove. You're yeah. still really you have a lot of dexterity and can mm-hmm. move around. So I just find I I go to those a lot. I'm with you, and I I never was a glove guy myself either. But I've been wearing those the fingerless merino gloves, and uh, they're pretty awesome. That just cuts right off above kind of both okay. that second. Now, see, I don't have I don't have those. I'll have to get you some. They're sweet. Yeah. It's nice to have just some feeling. I I seem to like lose feeling in my fingers pretty quickly when it's cold. Yeah, but these things help because they keep that warmth sort of in the the core of your hand, and it's it's a great piece for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think that's about all for this for the for the new gear that I wanted to highlight with you. So. What about uh, what about the bibs that are coming out? Yeah, so um, let me pull those up because they're they're really awesome. I want to show you a picture. We've been trying on some of that stuff now, but so. You guys are producing some new whitetail, more yeah. whitetail tree stand That's oriented right. stuff. And last year, it was some of the catalyst yep. stuff, which the yep. catalyst would have been a soft shell. So it would have right. been quiet for bow hunters. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, I mean, any whitetail guy, I was just telling, uh, I was just telling some of the guys earlier, like, I think that's the on the forefront of most whitetail tree stand bow mm-hmm. hunters' minds is right. quietness. Yeah. So which, we. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, which is, I think sometimes people use the wrong stuff, like because the ultralight, like Western hunting mm-hmm. stuff, like you guys would have, that would have these synthetic shells. Right. Like it doesn't matter if that's quiet or not. Yep. And to get that ultralight, you've got to have this kind of mm-hmm. stuff that's a little bit louder. That's correct. And so I think sometimes people have, or I've seen it, Kevin, where guys have bought like a puffy jacket mm-hmm. and wanted to bow hunt with it, you know, in Missouri. Yeah. And be like, oh man, that stuff's loud. Yeah. It's like, it's the wrong application. Exactly. Yeah. Everything's got it. There's a, a certain tool, right? In every yeah. kit, right? That makes it work. And the nice part about the the stuff we've been doing in the whitetail world is we've addressed the, like I mentioned before, the core components of how am I going to stay in that tree longer and how, because the buck of a lifetime might walk by at 1.34 PM and you, you might be freezing. So yeah. What we've tried to do is adjust our program to uh, to identify and try to solve those problems. And one of the things that comes from that research is the ability to stay quiet and stay out there longer. So the system that we're coming out with now that should launch pretty soon, it's going to probably be early August. It's called the Men's Solitude Kit. Solitude. Yep. And that Solitude Kit is made with the same fabric, the, the 
the brushed two-layer fabric, which is silent. I mean, yeah. you can swish your legs together all you want. It's not going to make a sound. Um, what's really cool about this kit, um, there's a few things. One, it comes in, a, you have a jacket and a, and a, and a bib, um, and it's got this kit link system where you can basically get from, it's sort of hard to explain without seeing it, but you can get from the external side of your jacket into that bib front pocket, which is sweet for whitetail whitetail guys because you can essentially utilize your whole system without having to take a jacket off or unzip a pocket or or whatever like that so the idea would be you could have a a jack well you could have bib Mm -hmm. like bib overalls correct underneath yeah you and there's pockets on the on the chest part of that bib Mm -hmm. that you're going to want to have important stuff inside of right then you put this solitude jacket on i just saw it this morning yeah. and you zip it all the way up yep. historically you would have had to zip it all the way down correct to get back into the mm-hmm. chest bib but yep. what you guys have is these little zippers over here about right. mid rib yep. like if you split from the chin to your navel it would be about you yeah. know halfway that's correct and you have zippers so that you can get into that mm-hmm. chest pocket yeah and that's a uh, we were just talking about like the worst thing ever when you're in the tree is like kind of bending over or you're looking around and something falls out of your pocket because I'm yeah. not going to climb down and get it. There's no yeah. way. Yeah. So yeah, this is a great way to be able to keep everything sort of internal and also manage your heat too. So what happens is with, with a lot of this stuff is when you open a pocket, you're releasing heat mm-hmm. or letting, you know, hot air in or whatever. So this this is going to allow you to sort of manage that so the, the zipper fits around your hand really nicely and it's a yeah. good system for sure and I'm excited I'm excited to wear this in the tree this year. Yeah. So we're going to try this out. Now well, and it's a it's a it's a mid-level between mm-hmm. so so for a couple of years you guys have had the sanctuary yep. stuff for white to hunting which I would describe as a very much so cold weather gear yes. which is awesome. Yep. It really is a it's it's thick heavy stuff, but you're not going to want to wear that unless it's below thirty degrees. I would yeah, say. I think that's right in there. And yeah, what the solitude d- does is mesh your early season to your late season. So yeah. the heart of the rut in the Midwest, anyway, is you know November sixth, maybe. So you yeah. can get some pretty variable temperatures. The yeah. nice part about the it solitude, could be warm, yeah, then. it could be warm. It could be freezing. You can yeah. get twenty below. Yeah. Um, so the nice part about the solitude is it allows you to layer underneath and yeah. and still be silent on the top layer, which I think is probably in, in the scheme of of trying to identify like what works the best in a tree stand, you know, being quiet, staying warm and staying out there longer, three components that are yeah. pretty essential. Yeah, yeah. Because if it doesn't matter if you're uh, you know, toasty warm all the way to like we said, one thirty four PM and you draw back your bow and it goes that buck of a lifetime skirts off into the timber. It's like, well, glad I was warm, but I wish I was cold and, and quiet. So yeah. we tried to address all those problems in one piece, and yeah. I think we did a pretty good job. Let me say something about the, the solitude bibs, which I saw them and, and put them on just this morning. I wasn't expecting it was – so let me just describe so everybody, we're all on the same page. Mm-hmm. Historically, a bib would have had zippers from the ankles – to the hip, right. basically. Mm-hmm. And so, like, if you're putting on, like, the sanctuary, you know, you would, so y- you could, ha- you would have clothes on and your boots on Got when it. you put this bib over it. Yep. And so you open it up as wide as possible so that your boots don't get clogged up. Yeah, I got And you, you kind of jump into them. Well, mm-hmm. the, the solitude has zippers that, it's got, it's got a double zipper, and I don't know the, yeah. the, the, the term for it, but it, it's got yeah. a, it's got a zipper that goes basically from the, 
almost like your armpit, the highest part of the bib mm-hmm. that goes down. Yep. And the zipper that also comes back up. Mm-hmm. And so you can really open up the top of that bib mm-hmm. to easily get into them. Right. I mean, that was that was my favorite part of the solitude. That's awesome. That's great to hear because I think that Ben and, and Greg spent a lot of time working through that and, yeah. and excuse me, figuring that out. And I think uh, the biggest other thing that we think about in the whitetail world is maximizing your time, right? A lot of guys are ripping out after work, trying to get to the tree or whatever it may be. Um, so trying to ease that use and make it really compatible throughout. Well, you don't yeah. want to have to take your boots off yeah. to put that on. Cause that's going to be the last thing you want to put on. Yep. Like you're gonna, you know, you're going to be wearing, I mean, you, you just don't want to put that on cause it is insulation. Mm-hmm. If you're going to be moving, like maybe even want to put it on at the tree stand. Yeah. That's what I do a lot with my insulated bibs is sure. I'll carry them to the stand cause I sure. might have a little bit of a walk and don't right. want to break a sweat. Yep. And man, if you can not have to do like, you know, a circus act yeah. to get into <laughs> yeah. them. So yeah. I, I thought that was really innovative to have right. the zippers on the top of that mm-hmm. bib. And I love bibs. You heard me yeah, talking to this guy. We've been talking about man, bibs I'm, all day. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I like bibs. I'm I really you. do. I appreciate that. That's awesome. Well, yeah, and those those pieces, like I said, will be available probably early August. We're still waiting on some Solitude. shipments, but I think that's gonna gonna do good. And all the all the whitetail pieces have the holes in the top upper yep. back for for safety straps to that's right. fit through. Yep, and that that's gonna be sort of a mainstay on all the whitetail stuff going forward, yeah. just for that safety element because we don't want anybody falling out of a tree. So yeah, yeah that and that sense. works great uh, for for all harness types. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, again, somebody who's never heard anything about first light or, or, or to me, what, when you put it on, and you don't understand this until you put it on, is the, is the shooter's cut. Yeah. Which is like a, a typical jacket. And, and when I was growing up, my dad was always putting me in his old stuff. Of course. Yeah. Like, I think so none of it kid, ever right? fit, you know, and it was <laughs> yep. always real bulky mm-hmm. and I could hardly shoot my bow out of it. So that would be like the worst case scenario is that right. you got this super bulky stuff that when you get the bow drawn, there's fabric sticking out mm-hmm. in between the line of where the bow's going to yeah. drop, you know. So with all of these garments, first like just the design of mm-hmm. it and i think this gets into like a high-end custom designed clothing right. like has a shooter's cut which means and i don't know the mechanics of it i mean there's got to uh, be mechanics like there's more fabric here and less fabric here mm-hmm. but I, I don't know what it is but i just know that it works like you have no restriction when you when you make the move to either draw a bow or shoulder a rifle mm-hmm. no no restriction you don't feel it you know right. and it's and when you draw back everything is just in line with your body right. and not sticking out on on clothing that fits you. I mean, obviously yeah. you had something that didn't fit you, it wouldn't do right. that. But that when I hand a jacket to a buddy of mine that's yeah. never put it on, put on something before mm-hmm. like that, I'm like, you're gonna notice the shooters cut, and then yeah. every time they go, wow, yeah, it doesn't. It, there's no there's no drag, there's no resistance when I and I'm I'm doing my hands like I'm shooting a bow. Right yeah, here, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, but yeah, I agree, and I think that the coolest part is you know first and foremost, first light was founded by guys that hunt. And I, I think that's the coolest part of it is, you know, they're actively involved in the development of each piece. And that, yeah. that's a perfect example is the slenderness. That's even, a, I think that's a word. Sure. But the, the sleeve sort of tapers so you don't have that bulk. You don't have that, like, um, sort of cinching up of material. Um, and, uh, yeah, they've, they've done a great job of addressing problems that, you know, have been 
found, so to speak, um, wh- while hunting, right? right? They're trying to correct problems that they've experienced. That goes from western elk hunting to bear hunting in the BC to to um, deer hunting in South Texas, right? They're addressing all these issues through first and foremost the sort of the foundation of the company, and then all the people we work with to to gear test this stuff through and through. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I think I'm I think I'm really gonna like the solitude stuff. I mean, this is a bear hunting magazine podcast, but everybody knows I I whitetail hunt mm-hmm. a ton. Yeah. And and most bear hunters are going to be whitetail hunting, tree stand whitetail hunting. That seems I mean, that's, right. And uh, and so this is good stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, I think probably the biggest, the hardest thing, maybe a barrier to entry, if you could say, mm-hmm. from getting some of this stuff is just the cost of it. Yep. And then not knowing the fit of it. Mm-hmm. And and I hope that maybe even people listening to stuff like this, maybe it'll give them a little more insight, a little more yeah. confidence when they go and buy. What I usually tell people is they, and I've had people direct, directly ask me, you know, mm-hmm. say, Clay, if you were going to spend X number of dollars right. on first light gear, what would you buy? Mm-hmm. My first answer is always base layer stuff. Mm-hmm. Get that. Yep. Start start with start with the merino wool yep. base layers. Mm-hmm. Start using that, utilizing that. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can go any direction of, of your right. needs from all the way from rain gear I mean, we hadn't talked about yeah, like the seek there, stuff, yeah, yeah. you know, like the the full scale, like mm-hmm. really breathable, good rain gear, mm-hmm. all the way to the sanctuary, super thick, super cold weather tree yeah. stand white to hunting mm-hmm. stuff. But anyway, I just say that's like the yeah. that's like the the gateway, the gateway piece. Certainly, yeah, and I think the coolest part about well, one of the coolest parts about First Light is our customer service team is diehard hunters. I mean, those guys are. As soon as 501 hits, they are out the door <laughs> and in the hills testing our gear. They know our gear tip to tail. Yeah. Um, they can offer you the sort of the best rendition, so to speak, of, of real-life anecdotal um, information about how a piece performs for your specific area. Yeah. And so those guys are really helpful in, in figuring out, you know, what is the first piece I should get? What's the fourth piece I should get? I'm yeah. going on this hunt in the Northwest Territories. What what rain jacket should I take? Yeah. Um, so those guys are around all the time, ready to answer your questions. And I think um, that's one of the coolest components of First Light is those guys are just dialed, really yeah. dialed. And they're able to help those uh, anybody out, really. It's pretty yeah. great. Okay. Now let's let's pretend like nobody at First Light's listening to this podcast, sure. which maybe they won't. Yeah, they probably, I don't know, maybe they will. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. If you could give a hot tip to somebody wanting to get in on some Ooh. First Light gear, like yeah. on some historic sales, because I've noticed some trends with yeah. First Light mm-hmm. of when stuff goes on sale, what yeah. would you say? Oh, man, that's a good question. I think you should always peek around. Like we just did a pretty big flash sale. Um, and that's what you're asking, like when is the hot tip? Man, I think just keep keep watching so the social. So you'll have these flash sales where yeah. just randomly you'll put yeah, like a like, percentage off. Yeah, yeah. And I think the best thing to do is just keep keep track on social. You know, we're always like, we do all these incredible giveaways too. Yeah, we're yeah. partnering with Go Wild right now. We're giving away a hunt with Cable Smith and Jordan Budd, which is crazy. I mean, that's just a, a really easy way to engage with First Light for sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, follow along on social for those giveaways and then, um, just follow along on the, on the, the individual folks too, you know, a um, bunch of people on Instagram and, and they'll, they'll be breaking that down, you know, as we well, get into the year. It, right? And what I'm alluding to, and I'm, yeah. I'm joking, it's not <laughs> like you guys want people to know this stuff. Yeah, I'm not, yeah. it's not like a secret, but don't you usually have 
Like the new stuff is usually coming out in yeah. June, July, August. Yep. Yep. I mean, yep. like that's like when the yeah. like the the new lines come out. So you that's have right. some of the older stuff that mm-hmm. often goes on sale. Yeah, for sure. And that's usually happening. Like all the new stuffs out by August, typically. Okay, so, August. Yeah. So you've seen we we just did our big flash sale, okay. but it'll it'll come. What do you again. call? It? Didn't you call it something? Special? It's just a, a summer flash sale. You know, okay, like maybe that, that's what I'm talking. about. We did about. a bunch of like we have a bunch of new logo wear coming out. I'm wearing one of yes. the shirts right now. Yeah, that's a good looking bunch shirt. of hats. Thanks. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there'll be, and like I said, I think the best way to get in on that info is like, we'll, we'll sort of sneak peek that stuff on, on Instagram for sure. Uh, And and again, going back to the idea that you just can't get away from it. I mean, the stuff's not cheap. You can go buy stuff at hunting gear at other places for cheaper. Yeah. That's just, that's just like with anything though. Everything we do, there's always like higher end stuff that's Mm -hmm. better materials. That's more, that's better design. That's going to last longer. So it's like one of those things, but I find, you know, sometimes it's hard for people to, to bite the bullet and and try something. Um, but, if they could get in yeah. on a sale, you sure, know, maybe, maybe they get it and they say, yeah, I like that piece. Yeah, for sure. And I think, I think one of the coolest parts too, is we, we try really hard as a company to, you know, be in the, uh, we're obviously like making very expensive, high, high apparel or high level apparel. Um, but it's still at a, at a price point that I would say is a little less than the competitors out there for sure. Yeah. We try to, we try to play in that arena. The other thing I'll say too, is like for folks that are on the guide and outfitter side, first responders, we offer great discounts yeah. uh, for people, for their service and for their, their line of work. Um, yeah. so feel free to, to hit us up if you're in, if you're in those categories and we want to try to respect those folks and, and make their jobs easier for sure. Yeah. So that's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. That's good stuff. Um, Man, I think we've we've we're almost to our hour, man. Yeah, we we've been it. nerding out, yeah, the, for sure, on the gear stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, Kevin, I I would historically have called myself such a minimalist that I didn't, I, I don't like gear. If I could say it that Got way, it. Yep. like yep. like gear to me is like a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. If I could put it that way, because mm-hmm. I do meet guys that just nerd yeah. out of it. But I'm becoming more. But I find that maybe like. At some subconscious level, I identify with that, but I'm a serious hunter. When I get into these places, I want gear. So I find that I'm having to be more conscious right. because of, of of why I do what I do, mm-hmm. if I could say it that way. Yeah. And I'm finding that I'm more of a gear guy than I thought. Yeah, there you go. You know, <laughs> I appreciate just, that. And I, I think that there's all types of gear guys, right? You've yeah. got like trinkety guys that have every little thing from – you know, super cool pocket knives all the way to like the latest headlamp. And there's people that get by with killing elk and flannels and jeans every yeah. year in Oregon. You know, there's a whole spectrum, right? But yeah. I think that for the amount of days guys like you spend in the field and, and for guys that really want to stay in that tree stand longer or whatever it may be, uh, first light's the way to go for sure. Well, you know? it's, it's when you find that guy that really is just a minimalist and mm-hmm. wanting to use the gear that helps him get the job done. Right. And then, but you, that guy can really tell a pretty good story a lot of times because, yep. or I mean, I mean, give you insight. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because this is what I've learned is I think sometimes people, they enjoy gear so mm-hmm. much that it becomes a big part of the, of their hunting experience yeah, because they can't, they're not in the field every day, but they're thinking about gear. Like I mm-hmm. see people in, uh, and, and maybe I'm that way sometimes too, but, uh, but I'm becoming a lot more conscious about my gear because the older I get, the more I do have stronger opinions, the more I, mm-hmm. I realize that 
you know, there are kind of these nuances inside of gear that can right. really make a they can make a difference. Yeah, for inside sure. of your success. Oh, yeah. Ultimately, that's what we're after is to be in the field and be successful. So right. if you can go further and stay longer, then uh, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Super. Yeah. Well, hey, closing closing thoughts. Anything you want to? Yeah, it's exciting to be on here, man. I'm excited. We have to do a. And you know, I've never killed a bear. Right. We talked about this. And you've killed an elk. No. Oh no. So I think what we, we should do is we should probably trade hunts. I'll take you elk hunting. You take me bear hunting. Let's do it. Deal. Do it. Spring, I'm in. spring 2020, and then fall 2020. We should do That's it. That's a good idea. I like it. That's That'd a be good fun. trade. That'd be a sweet trade. I'll take it. Oh man, <laughs> awesome man. Well, I appreciate it. Podcast handshake. That's right. There we go. That's right. <laughs> I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, right on. Well, we we always say the same thing at the end of the podcast. Yeah. Keep the wild places wild because that's where the bears live. That's awesome. All right. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today.